Hi there, great to be speaking to you once again. We've made it. We have made it to the end of the Old Testament book of Genesis. Have you been following us through this series? Really hope that you have enjoyed it. We as a team have enjoyed putting the series together and we spent many hours on it. It's great being teaming with the other in-person preachers and we talk about the messages each week. So if you are receiving this and watching this, and have been enjoying this in Oasis or uh, Hove or at Shoreham. Uh, it's great to be partnering with the, the team there. And also there's a, a, a few people that we meet with each week as well, people that you maybe not seen, uh, people like Phil Turner and Christine Lidyard, who really helped put this whole series together. In fact, we started back in March uh, with a wider team of men and women uh, preparing the groundwork for this series. So a lot of work has gone into this buried series and I hope that you have got a lot out of it. If you have missed any of the installments of it maybe over the summer it would be a good time to catch up on them on our YouTube channel but we're looking at the final chapter of Genesis today chapter 50 and what we're going to see as we're going to hear it in a moment is that it ends with the deaths of Jacob and Joseph. Jacob is Joseph's father and the way it comes together at the end with them the end of their lives, reminds us again that the whole of Genesis is really an epic family drama. It's not primarily driven by a plot or events. It's actually driven the narrative by the people involved. It's about a family. And what we're going to see is that Jacob, when he dies, there is a great public expression of weeping and mourning for him, which underlines just how prominent Joseph has become in the land of Egypt, where we have this family at the end of Genesis. In the last year, we've had uh, a national figure, a monarch, uh, pass away, and uh, I don't think actually we got close to the 70 days of mourning that the Egyptians did for Jacob. But what we see in this passage as well is that as well as a public reaction, there is a significant private, personal, family reaction as well. And what we're going to see is it puts light again on the relationship between Joseph and his brothers. And it demonstrates to us that even though there has been something of a reconciliation between them, the relationship is still fragile and the brothers become scared of retribution from Joseph. So we have public mourning and feuding brothers. Nothing new under the sun, is it? Well, whether it's the royal family or our own family interpersonal situations, this is what relationships can be like. They they can be fragile. We can go through periods of reconciliation and then we're wondering, is are things still okay and it's tricky to navigate so let's one last time dive in and unpack this relationship between joseph and his brothers and see what we can learn about them and about ourselves and about god as well let's hear the passage now when jacob finished commanding his sons he drew up his feet into the bed and breathed his last and was gathered to his people then joseph fell on his father's face and wept over him and kissed him and joseph commanded his servants the physicians to embalm his father 
so the physicians embalmed Israel. Forty days were required for it, for that is how many are required for embalming. And the Egyptians wept for him for seventy days. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, It may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph, saying, Your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, Please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin, because they did evil to you. And now, please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear, I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. So Joseph remained in Egypt, he and his father's house. Joseph lived for a hundred and ten years, and Joseph saw Ephraim's children of the third generation. The children also of Machir, the son of Manasseh, were counted as Joseph's own. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died, being a hundred and ten years old. They embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. So from this passage that we have just heard, we have the death of Jacob and the death of Joseph right in this chapter. But in fact, that time period is 60 years 60 years just in this one chapter. Nothing else is said in that 60-year period apart from this one final story. And it's a significant one. And it includes this immortal phrase in verse 20. Did you hear that? Joseph saying to his brothers, You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. This statement is a significant verse in the whole Bible. It actually has a parallel verse in the New Testament, Romans chapter 8. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Very similar ideas, a thread that we can see right the way through the Bible. And it really summarizes what this Buried series is all about. We've been thinking about the sovereignty of God. The fact that God writes stories with our lives and sometimes leads us into circumstance and situation that we would perhaps never choose ourselves, but actually uses those times, those seasons, even those points of pain to be at work in our lives. And we've been thinking about that, that right the way through this series. It's not an easy idea to get on board with. It's a battle of faith to believe that God is working for good because we hit seasons and circumstances in our lives and ask the question, how can God be good 
when I lose my job or when my partner leaves me or when I or someone that I love get this horrible diagnosis, when I'm treated unfairly, unjustly, where is God? Is God really working for good? We're not meant to accept this idea glibly, but it is a wrestle. And the stories of Genesis help us. And they demonstrate that, yes, it is difficult to live this truth out and to trust God in the midst of trying seasons. Now, Joseph is saying these words to his brothers, and so there's a direct application and interpretation of what he's saying. You meant it for evil. You, my brothers, you betrayed me. You threw me in a pit. You sold me into Egypt. But even that, sending me off to Egypt, I didn't know, but God used that to raise me up in Egypt and actually helped the whole of Egypt, including you, my family, as I bring you in, navigate the famine that was to come, saving lives. God used it. It's a wonderful story of God's sovereignty and working for good in unexpected ways. But not only does this sentiment describe Joseph's life, it really summarizes the whole book of Genesis. It comes right at the end of Genesis, and it's the whole book has been about that. And we actually, over the last few years, have spent time in Genesis, and we've seen this again and again and again. People who don't get things right, who navigate through a broken world and sin and evil, but God, by his grace, works his purposes out for good and for blessing. We've been in this a long time. We've done other series in between, but actually we started in Genesis back in 2020. In the pandemic, we went into Genesis, we went into the story of Noah and the flood. We spent 13 weeks. Since then, we did another series about Abraham. We picked up the story again and we did 22 weeks on Abraham. And then we did another series, 14 weeks about Jacob and Isaac as well. And now we've done 14 with Joseph. 73 Sunday messages from the book of Genesis in the last few years. 45 chapters from chapter 6 to chapter 50 that we're at today, which is at least 40 hours of content. And if you put in the, the live lunch episodes that we've done, it's probably getting closer to 100 hours of teaching and content that we have produced over the last few years from this book of Genesis. And I think, and I hope you do too, that it has been well worth it. What a good friend <laughs> this book of Genesis has been to us. How helpful has it been to help us navigate these last few years? It's so helpful to read about how we people navigate an uncertain time. And time and again, even though they make a mess, God rescues. God works through this family line. He works his purposes out. And we see time and again God's faithfulness and his goodness and his blessing to the world, even through sin. And in those terms, we recognize this is not just 
about Joseph's life is not just about Genesis. This is what the whole Bible is about. We're actually hitting on a huge theme. God overruling sin. Sin and brokenness of the world not being the final word, but God working his purposes out through it. And that's central to the whole Bible. It's central to the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's what Jesus has come to do. And we see it most clearly at the cross of Jesus Christ. God stepped down into this world to take on the sin of this world. And at the cross and at the resurrection of Jesus, we see God's justice and against sin, his goodness and his mercy, his faithfulness, his compassion and his grace coming together. God sovereignly working for good in a broken world. And this idea of God's sovereignty, it, it, it is a big one. And it's a big concept and it does throw up lots of questions. And maybe you're here asking those questions and thinking of those questions and you hear a line like this, God is working for good in all circumstances, evil in the world, but God is working for good. And you might think, well, how can God be good and use evil as part of his plan? How can God, creator of everything, use evil but not be responsible for it? There's questions that spin off here. Why does God choose to work through evil in the world rather than just take away and wipe out evil completely? If God knew that there would be evil in the world, why did he create the world in the first place? These are big questions all about this idea of God's sovereignty. And the Bible does answer some of them. And I think the cross is the best answer for all those ones. Because you see God at work, God unveiling his sovereign plan, and God's justice and his judgment, but also his compassion and his love and his grace and his triumph over sin and death, and through the resurrection as well, we see that. But mostly, the Bible gives us stories rather than theories to grapple with these ideas so that we might understand on a personal level who God is and what he's like. God meant it for good. I mean, that in some ways, that is a, a fridge magnet phrase. And as I've said, it's a summary of the Bible and a big concept. But we mustn't forget that here we see that that phrase is said by Joseph with his cheeks still wet with tears as he says it to his brothers. Did you notice that here? God meant it for good. Yeah, you can take that question about God's sovereignty and bring it into the classroom or the lecture hall or have an armchair discussion. What does it mean for God to be sovereign? But if we were to find it in its true context in the Bible, it's in the midst of a painful and personal story of a man and his brothers, a forgiveness story, a reconciliation story. Let's unpack it. Let's take it step by step. Verse 15, we have Jacob, their father has died. And the older brothers come together and think, maybe Joseph is going to pay us back 
for what we have done to him in the past. Even though he's forgiven us, maybe he'll use this opportunity now to get back at us. Maybe he hates us really. And you might think when reading this, you might think, why? We've we spent many weeks before talking about this reconciliation, how it built up to it and its climax of coming together, Joseph being so clear that he had forgiven his brothers for betraying him, leaving him for dead. Why are the brothers like this? Why are they so suspicious of Joseph? Well, I think they're falling into a trap that probably all of us fall into. We imagine that other people are like ourselves. We expect them to do and react the way we might react and be. The brothers are demonstrating here that they are insecure. They are schemers. That's kind of their character. They're untrustworthy. We've seen that right the way through. And they project that onto Joseph. I'm sure we do this with others as well. We find others difficult to understand when they don't act like we might act. But there's also a danger, a trap that we can fall into, whether we're Christians or not, imagining that God is like us and projecting ourselves onto God. An example of that might be when we are aware of the wrong in our lives and we think, well, I struggle with the idea of forgiveness. God can't forgive me because I can't forgive myself. And maybe we carry guilt around. God can't forgive me. I can't even forgive myself. Well, I got news for you today. God's not like you. God is not like you. Don't project yourself onto God. Don't put the limits on you, that are on you onto him. Maybe you're thinking, well, I'm not sure that this God can love me truly because I don't love myself. I don't even like myself. Maybe some of you even hate yourselves. And again, <laughs> the good news, God is not like you. God is infinitely better than you are. He is infinitely more generous, more powerful, more loving, more forgiving, more everything. Jesus knows this. And in Jesus' earthly ministry, he knew that people like you and me struggle to get our heads around just how good God is. And so Jesus told stories to explain what God is like and to make it tangible, and to make it real to people, and to correct our wrong views of God. And one of the most helpful is the story that he told us, he recounted in Luke chapter 15 about the prodigal son. You probably know this story. My son likes to think of it as the story about the, the guy that has to eat pig food. He finds that funny. But let me rehearse the story for you. There's a father and he has two sons. And the youngest son says to the father, I want my inheritance now. I want to take the money now. 
And he does that. He takes the money and he goes off and spends it all on reckless living. What an analogy for the time that we live in now. We don't want the God who made us. We just want to enjoy the world that he has given to us. We don't want his authority. We just want to take what we have and can get our hands on now. Well, this is the story that Jesus told. The man goes off and spends the money on reckless living. But then he spends it all. And not only that, a famine hits. We've been dealing with a famine in the story of Joseph that we're in. And he ends up destitute. He ends up penniless. He hasn't got anything. And he has to take a shameful job. It's shameful in the culture that he would have been in. This story is set in that he has to look after pigs. And he is so destitute. He has so little. None of his friends look out for him that he's jealous of the pigs and the food that they get. And in this very low place, and he's watching these pigs thinking, my life can't get any worse. He has an idea. He thinks, wait a minute, I'm here with these pigs. But my father, he's got servants that are in a better standing than I am. Maybe I could go back. Maybe I could go back to my father's house. And maybe I could just sneak in as a servant. And so he does. And he starts heading back to his father's house and he's rehearsing his little speech of how sorry he is and that he's not worthy to come back to his father's house. And he sees his father coming and he starts to speak, but his, his father interrupts. His father has been, sees him from far away and comes running to his son and embraces him. And the son can't really get his speech out because the father embraces him. And instead of handing him a, a mop and say, yeah, go on then, be a servant. He hands him a cloak, a robe. He puts it around him. He puts sandals on his feet and he prepares a feast. And he says, come back, my son. I'll celebrate your return. It's, out, it's outrageous generosity. It's outrageous grace. And neither the younger son or the older, there's an older son, and he's like, how can this guy come in? I've worked here for so long and you've never thrown a party for me. And again, they, neither of them can understand the generosity and the grace that the father shows. The younger son comes in, can, can I just come back in as a servant? You know, it's the connection with this story here. Joseph's brothers worry about how Joseph's going to react. And even though reconciliation has happened, they come in and say, oh, Joseph, can we be a servant? We are your servants. You see, the prodigal son doesn't understand his father. Jacob's sons, they don't understand Joseph. And maybe we don't understand the radical generosity of God's grace. He seems too kind. He seems too loving. We're just so aware of our evil, our unworthiness, and we regress. We pull back. We can't believe that we're accepted by God. And so just like the brothers, just like the prodigal son, we're inclined to relate to God as, oh, maybe I can just serve a little bit and show that I'm not too bad. But really what's on offer is a seat at the family table. Have you ever felt like that? 
felt too unworthy for God, have pulled back from our relationship with him because you're just aware of your wrongness. God could never accept me. I want to tell you today that attitude, it breaks God's heart. And we see that here demonstrated in the way Joseph responds to his brother. Joseph's heartbroken at the way his brothers relate to him. Let's follow it here. Verse 16, the brothers are worried. And it says, verse 16, they sent a message to Joseph. They couldn't even come into the same room as him. They sent him a message and they concoct this story. Oh, our father said this. You must really forgive us. And Joseph sees through the story immediately. In verse 17 there, it says, Joseph wept. He's like, how can you think I would be like this? How can you think I secretly hate you? How can you think I'm just waiting for an opportunity to pay back the bad that you have done? I've forgiven you. I love you. You are my brothers. I've accepted you. It breaks his heart. Verse 17, Joseph wept. And on hearing this, it seems that the the brothers slowly shuffle tentatively into the room. Verse 18, but still they're in this mindset and they bow down to Joseph. Behold, we are your servants. They're twisting the knife into Joseph. Servants? You're my brothers. I've received you. I've accepted you. I've already forgiven you. And I've brought you to Egypt to save you. And now you're trying to relate to me as as servants? It's holding grace at arm's length. It's resisting it. Friends, it's very wrong to believe that you are good enough so that you don't need God's forgiveness and his grace. But I want to tell you today that it's also very wrong to believe that you are too bad for his forgiveness and grace too. It's unbelief. It's imagining God in your image, that he is like you are. And the brothers here in this story imagine Joseph in their own image and they make a horrible mistake here. Don't do that. Don't trust in yourself. It takes faith to believe that God has forgiven you. Take him at his words. That's what it says, Romans 5 verse 8. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Are you going to trust the way you feel? Are you going to trust what the word of God says to you today? God has shown his love for you by sending Christ to die for you in your sin. In your sin. He has gone to the cross for sinners. Believe he has done that for you. Trust in him, not in yourself. Not in your own feelings of unworthiness. He has so loved you in Christ. Live according to his grace. And trust that you are free. This is the 
the heartbreaking context of this amazing phrase. Joseph heartbroken at his brother's suspicion of him. And yet still he, he takes a breath and he relies on God. And verse 19, he says to them, do not fear. That's the reassuring words of God to us today. Do not fear. Verse 20, you made, you meant evil against me. Now recognize that he's being honest. He's being clear, just like God is with us. Yeah, you've done wrong. God doesn't minimize evil. He doesn't explain it away. He doesn't minimize our sin. God sees it. He calls it, and he, but he deals with it. He deals with it on our behalf through Christ. And as Joseph goes on, God meant it for good. Evil is not the final word. With God, sin never wins. And it results in the saving of many lives. This is the gospel. That Jesus has come to earth to take on sin. Put death to death and save many lives. So that all who believe in him today, Believe in his grace. Believe that he has forgiven them through dying on the cross for sin and rising again to give new life. Are saved. Are rescued. Eternally secure with God. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Do you hear the kind and comforting words of God today. He has forgiven you. He loves you and restores you and accepts you as family. Not as a servant, but as family. And with that, we reach the end of Genesis. But as we read here, the story is incomplete, both with the death of Jacob and the death of Joseph. They actually point ahead because both of them, and they're embalmed and put in these Egyptian coffins, but they say, take me to another land. It's a reminder that Egypt is not their home. They're, they're pointing away to a promised land. Their bodies, their bones are ready to be moved. The story is not finished yet. And that's the disposition of us if we're in Christ in this life. Like Joseph, we will have pit moments and, and palace moments. And God is working for good through them both. But this life is still in this broken world where we're living these gospel lives. And God's working for our good, but ultimately our hope is, is not in this life. There's a home for us in a different country, just like for Jacob and Joseph. At the end of their lives, they're looking ahead with a sure and certain hope. There's a home for us elsewhere. And for us, there's a home for us in God. There's a home for us in a new heaven and earth. 
free from sin, free from the brokenness of this life. And one day each of us, just like Jacob and Joseph here, will die and be buried, but we die with a, a certain hope that the God who has been shepherd all the days of our lives will raise us up, will raise us up again with him and will live with him forever. Joseph's words there, God will surely visit you and bring you up out of this land to a land that lasts forever. Amen. God, we so thank you for this wonderful book of Genesis. We thank you that you are working for good in all of our circumstances. Help us to receive your love afresh today and walk in the goodness of God that you have won for us in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.